From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch. Donald Trump versus Amazon and its CEO, Jeff Bezos. Uh, who's going to win that battle? And is it a bluster or a real serious threat to Amazon? Plus, Attorney General Jeff Sessions declines a request from Republicans in Congress to name a second special counsel to look at the FBI's handling of various investigations. We'll tell you what's behind the AG's thinking. I'm Paul Gigo, uh from the Wall Street Journal Opinion Pages, and I'm here with my colleagues, uh, Bill McGurn. How are you, Bill? Hi, Paul. And Kim Strassel. Uh, hey, Kim. Hey, Paul. So let's start with the Trump versus Bezos, which I think is the real uh, political backdrop here, less Amazon than Trump disliking Bezos. And Kim, I guess uh, uh, we know with this president that all politics is personal. And uh, he takes personally, I think, the um, opposition to him by Bezos's paper, The Washington Post. And well, he might, but there's a danger in going out this way and doing this is just inappropriate for a president to do. Look, we were incredibly critical of Obama and some of the times he did this targeting either specific companies or groups of people like the Tea Party, uh, which because those calls end up serving as a dog whistle to bureaucracies and agencies who feel as though they're getting indirect orders and end up targeting folks. Now, I think that's less likely to happen because the entire federal bureaucracy despises Donald Trump, so probably won't do his bidding very easily. But you just don't want – That is an important point, Kim. I think that is an important point. They – most of them don't like Trump. And uh, they're not as inclined to do what he wants. That's, that's, I think that's from the point of view of protecting abuses of power ordered by a White House, that, that's, that's important. Yes, absolutely. It, it acts as a natural check on this president's worst impulses. Nonetheless, you still wish he wouldn't do it because it also, on a more serious level, undermines the ability of those who are – charged with taking actions against corporate America. It makes their job harder because let's say Amazon really does deserve some sort of antitrust investigation. Let's say it is breaking the law in one way or another. Uh, how can the D- Department of Justice, how can the, you know, the go and look at Amazon without immediately now then being accused of doing Donald Trump's bidding? Yeah, I, Paul, I think it's like, um, when the president would speak about Bo Bergdahl or something, it was looked at as command influence. It just makes it the he job. was he was the the, uh, the, the, the deserter, deserter that was exchanged yeah. for um, some some Taliban prisoners. So it just looks like that kind of command influence. Look, um, we don't have bills of attainder anymore that were so controversial in England, where you targeted an individual or so forth. But you can kind of think of a presidential tweet as a bill of attainder, you know, in 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 this sense, especially if you look at the. Um, you know, the huge drop in uh, um, Amazon shares after the president first tweeted about it. Now he tweeted about it again and came back again, and the Amazon seems to be coming back. But, um, you know, that's not a thing shareholders really want to be going up and down because of a president. Look, there's a lot of things, I think, as we've written in our editorials, there's a lot of things that I think should be looked at with Amazon and the federal government, such as the role in books, in e-books, and, and some of the litigation that the Obama administration used to, to basically to preserve their monopoly. Um, but uh, it's, it's not the place for a president to tweet that out, to, to interfere. 
Well, it's interesting. This week, the, the chronology was that Axios, the website, did a report saying that Trump is obsessed with uh, Amazon and wants to look into, wants their uh, post office arrangement, right. which we can discuss, and, and antitrust, and the company investigated for antitrust. That took the, the took the took the stock down over four percent, four point four percent in a day, uh, and of course it was the topic of conversation on cable networks. I think Trump saw that, and then the next day he sent out his tweet, uh, and the stock went up one point one percent, and was a rising market, so that might have helped float it. But I think the the markets may be discovering, investors may be figuring out that a president. Whatever his threats, has limited power in these kinds of circumstances. I, I hope so because it's it's really a danger. I mean, you and I lived overseas. We lived in Hong Kong. And we know. Imagine if you had a company, and the president of China came out against it, you would be really scared. It's one of the things that separates us from these other countries. Or, right. or if there was a report in Reuters that Mr. Putin has a particular animus to Exxon or something, uh, that would be that would be very very troubling. You know, you know you're dead. Right. Um, so that's, that's very troubling. And we're not, we're not at that level. But we do have a federal bureaucracy and it does scare people. And what markets hate most, of course, is uncertainty, right? You don't, you don't want these question marks being uh, put up there. Well, if you look at the president's uh, critique in any detail, Kim, I mean, he said they don't pay state and local taxes. Actually, they do. You know, for a time they didn't uh, online, but now they collect them from every state if people make sales in that state, even where they don't have a particular uh, big location. Uh, the president said that uh, he denounced this uh, deal that Amazon has to deliver packages for the post office as a subsidy. We ran an op-ed uh, some months back uh, critiquing that relationship. It can be critiqued. Maybe it's a sweetheart deal for Amazon, but it pays benefits for the post office because it's one of the growing parts of their business. And if they didn't have that, they would probably have to raise prices or reduce service. So there's it's a little more complicated than the Trump uh, made it seem. And on antitrust, look, I mean, you're going to make an antitrust case against Amazon for basically disintermediating the retail industry, disrupting it, which they are, uh, you got to make a case about consumer benefit, <laughs> that somehow it's hurting consumers in, in prices or convenience. And in fact, in most cases, it's doing the opposite. Uh, the one exception is, I think, Bill's reference to ebooks, where the Justice Department under Obama sued Apple for trying to compete with Amazon and, and in the process secured the monopoly that uh, Amazon has. Yeah, I think maybe we can just agree that everything's usually a little bit more complicated than Donald Trump <laughs> presents it as. Um, but it sounds what is motivating this here um, is obviously a personal animus against Mr. Bezos and the Washington Post. But also remember who Trump spends his time with and has spent most of his life with is you know, real estate developers who go out and use steel and mortar and create shops on the streets that people engage in retail trade in. And Amazon dram dramatically disrupts all of that. Now, you can make an argument about whether or not it's sad that we don't have all of those main streets teeming with all of these little mom and pop shops anymore. Uh, but you also have to acknowledge from a consumer perspective, Amazon is 
great for many people uh, who don't like going out and doing those crowds of Christmas shopping. And, you know, there are people I know who get their groceries on Amazon and all of their cleaning supplies because it just stops you from having to do a drive down to the grocery store. So there's a lot of that would be a very complex question if you went to go to try to sort out uh, that. And obviously, Donald Trump hasn't thought through all of the ramifications. And it would have a, a very long investigation of the Federal Trade Commission or the Department of Justice to be able to bring a, an antitrust case against Amazon and hope to prevail. All right. Uh, we're talking about uh, Trump and Amazon and Attorney General Jeff Sessions and a special second counsel uh, decision. And you're listening to Potomac Watch from The Wall Street Journal. Spend time with Alexa? Make tech news briefing part of your flash briefing on the Amazon Echo. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. From the opinion pages of The Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch. Welcome back. I'm Paul Gigo here with uh, Kim Strassel and uh, and Bill McGurn. And uh, we learned this week that uh, in a letter that Attorney General Jeff Sessions sent to several members of Congress that he will not – he turned down their request to appoint a second special counsel to uh, uh, join Robert Mueller. This special counsel would look into the FBI and how it has handled various uh, investigations. Bill, you have probably been – the most uh, articulate uh, 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 person writing in the media suggesting that Jeff Sessions should not appoint a special counsel. So uh, you persuaded him. Yeah, to to my great astonishment, because I thought, look, special special counsels are so appealing because people think they're going to solve everything and the political momentum was building for it. So um, no one was more surprised than, than I was <laughs> that the attorney general, I think, actually won. What did you think of his letter? I thought it was pretty good. I mean, people have to get back to the special counsel laws. is supposed to be for extraordinary circumstances. And if you trace it back through the independent counsel law and the, you know, the original invest, it all goes back to Nixon. It's one of these things. Um, practices that we started post Nixon and it's just kind of um, uh, evolved in different ways and the special counsel is not the problem that the independent counsel was you know which was by law but it's still a big problem because if it's really special then we have a real issue with separation of powers and if it's not special because it's not under supervision of, of the president and then if it's not special it's just sort of privileged character status right they can go off and spend as much time so i'm i'm hoping that one of the things that comes out of this this entire mess not just the the FISA warrant, the collusion, and the uh, Hillary email investigation is not just getting the final story and what happened there, but also that we can return our institutions to some regular practice. There's no reason, I think, as the attorney general pointed out, that a U.S. attorney who has a grand jury and all these powers working with the findings of an inspector general can't get to the bottom of the situation and find out what needs to be done. Well, the, but the but the argument, Bill, would be that in fact nobody within the confines of the Justice Department can investigate itself. Yeah, I and that's that's a big question, and I I think that's not true. And if you go back to um, uh, Watergate, when um, the Attorney General resigned, when Nixon ordered the Attorney General to fire Archibald Cox, the special counsel. The um, attorney general, 
uh, Elliot Richardson resigned, and then his deputy resigned, Ruckelshaus. Now, they never challenged the president's right to fire authority, to fire Cox. What, what their problem was, they had made pledges to Congress to have a special counsel and so forth. So they felt they were invested. Robert Bork stepped into the breach. He fired him, didn't like doing it. He was a real hero. He was the solicitor general. Solicitor general, became acting attorney general. And I think he made the case that, that we didn't need a, a special counsel to do this. We had the resources. Um, this man, this U.S. attorney, um, is uh, full of integrity. Look, the FBI. John, John Huber is his name. Yeah. He's from, uh, who's, who Spes Sessions said, is going to do the right. investigating in consultation with the inspector general, right. Michael Horowitz. Who's done a lot of it. I mean, the, the interesting thing is how long has has uh, this U.S. attorney been involved in this case? I mean, we know the inspector general. November. Is, right. So he's presumably very up to speed. And we know the inspector general has reached certain conclusions on certain individuals and is now wrapping it up. So I think this is very, very hopeful. Look, the FBI has been invested. You know, there's been spy scandals before. There's a, there's a lot of internal investigations. It's a big organization. And the problem with special, as I said, if it's really special, meaning separate from authority, it, uh, constitutional problems. And if it's not special, it's just untethered to any other concerns that other prosecutors have. And it leads to empire building and expanding beyond the uh, mission. And no, no, author- no controlling authority, really. Kim, you and I uh, have been talking to sources who have been suggesting to us that, in fact, uh, Jeff Sessions uh, was waiting for this Horowitz IG report on the FBI's handling of Hillary Clinton's emails. And then that would be what uh, determined whether he would make the decision to name a special counsel or not. Now, if you read the AG's letter, he gives himself some more wiggle room to say, well, in the future I could if John Huber, the the, uh, the U.S. attorney investigating this, tells me that we need more or we the circumstances are such that we need a special counsel, he could still name one. But I guess, uh, but, you know, for now, I was a little surprised at this decision. Yeah, here's what I think is happening here. I think there's a couple of overlooked aspects of this Sessions letter that are are important. One is, if you notice, it, it comes after Sessions recently publicly let it be known there were a number of stories going around that he had taken FBI Director Christopher Wray to the woodshed, told him that he needed to be much more cooperative about handing over documents to Congress and complying with requests. He suddenly went public with that. Now we have this letter as well in which he goes public and tells us about a person that he actually, according to the letter, named this federal prosecutor to start looking into this all the way last year, but nobody has heard about it. So I think Jeff Sessions, he's obviously been on the firing line of President Trump. He's been getting a lot of blowback from a lot of conservatives. This seems to be part of a concerted effort for him to be a little bit more proactive about saying what he's doing internally. And it's a tough spot for an AG because you don't want to throw everything out there that the Department of Justice is doing uh, in prejudge cases or they tend to be kind of mum on some of this. But he's clearly decided he needs to be a little bit more open with the public about the actions he's taking to defend himself. And I think that's the other really important overlooked aspect of this letter is if you think about it, this is the very first time, and it's important for that reason, that 
anyone at the Department of Justice or FBI has made a public acknowledgement that DOJ and FBI appeared to have messed up in 2016 badly enough that it warrants an investigation. And that to me is important because Christopher Ray certainly has never acknowledged that. We've seen some inside things happening at the department, like people being moved from positions or resigning, but no one's come out and said, we made mistakes. And this seems to be a public acknowledgement that they have a problem, that they're investigating it, and someone's doing something about it. And that's the first step to reform and changes. Well, and what I like about the implication of the letter is the assertion and the other episode you talked about is the assertion of the attorney general's authority over the FBI director. I mean, people think of the FBI as independent. No, it's not. It's a branch of the Justice Department. The director of the FBI reports to the deputy AG and the AG. That means he's politically accountable. We want political accountability in our system. We don't want J. Edgar Hoover again saying he can do whatever he wants and threaten uh, threaten presidents the way he did many presidents, including Kennedy. <laughs> and, and we don't want Jim Comey. One of the reasons that, that we had this, the, the so many fiascos in 2016 and the interventions by the FBI in the campaign was Comey thought he was an independent operating authority who could somehow decide whenever he wanted what he could say publicly and he wouldn't have to answer to Loretta Lynch. And he issued judgments about Loretta Lynch. Oh, she appeared on the tarmac with Bill Clinton. That gave me leave to decide I could dis- I could reach my own conclusions and announce them publicly about the email case. No, you're supposed to advise the prosecuting a- attorneys, whether it's a U.S. attorney or the AG, then they make the prosecutorial decision. Yeah, and you know what? The worst thing about that, Paul, was uh, when he intervened, you're talking about with Hillary Clinton saying no pro- – he said some line like no prosecutor would ever bring charges. And uh, uh, Loretta Lynch accepted that. That that again was was terrible for political accountability. That would have been a tough call for Loretta Lynch. But that's why you're attorney general for that political accountability. And by vesting it in the FBI, this bureaucracy, he removed the consequences uh, of that decision to himself. I mean, basically, he gave them cover. Right. And uh, either way, Loretta Lynch. Either way she went, that would be tough for her, but that's what that's what the system is designed for. And having made that decision then in July of 2016, he then felt <laughs> obliged in October to report new information and reopen the investigation in a way that hurt Hillary Clinton. Right. So it was just a fiasco, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, it was a fiasco for political accountability and for the credibility of the, of the FBI. And one of the most astonishing things here is that in the light of all that, we still have James Comey and, 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 and his deputy, McCabe, walking around as if they are secular saints who are somehow... Well, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know how... I? I don't know how many saints need a GoFundMe account, uh, you know, nearing half a million dollars, half a billion dollars to uh, defend themselves against what uh, might be criminal charges. So um, there may be some consequences coming. I would just like to add a couple more things about this letter that I think are important because I've seen a lot of people already on Twitter and social media being very critical of this Jeff Sessions decision to not go with a a special counsel. But what's reassuring to me here as well is that the letter points out that Hoover, this prosecutor uh, out in Utah, he's been working on this. He's outside of D.C. 
Uh, Sessions stressed that, that he's not part of the whole D.C. hierarchy culture of the FBI and DOJ. He's also working directly with the inspector general on this. And that's important because the inspector general has the ability to go and get pretty much any documents he wants, get them quickly. That's a unique power of inspector generals. Um, and so they're going to be able to share information and make sure no one's hiding anything or at least make it harder for people to hide things. And on the flip side – Huber has something that the IG doesn't, which is that he has the power to subpoena, uh, the power to haul in witnesses um, and conduct this with pretty much, in fact, every power that a special counsel would have as well, too, in terms of just process or in terms of investigatory tools. So the combination of those two uh, makes me fairly hopeful that this is going to result in some honest information. And last thing, it turns out this letter states that this guy is, in fact, reporting to Jeff Sessions uh, because I've heard a lot of people saying, well, this guy reports to Rod Rosenstein and Rosenstein's part of the problem. The well, de- we don't really know that, AG. but um, it sounds as though there's oversight from a lot of different areas. Yeah, Rosenstein being the deputy uh, attorney general who is supervising Robert Mueller because Sessions had recused himself from investigating Russian collusion. Uh, the next big uh, uh, news we suspect, uh, is in this side of the case anyway, is going to be when the a- the IG, Inspector General Michael Horowitz, releases his investigation uh, results uh, into the FBI. We will uh, be waiting for that. And thank you to Kim. Thank you to Bill. Thank you all for listening. Back next week with another edition of Potomac Watch. <laughs> 